You probably think I'm going to talk about prophecy today. You're right. I am. I love prophecy. Prophecy is what in the world is going to happen next. But one-fourth of the Bible is pre-written history. And if you want to know if the Bible is true, all you got to do is study prophecy. And it will prove that what God says is the truth. Now, we're going to look at a few things today that I hope will be a blessing to you. And uh, something that I've, um, well, kind of been reading and studying and haven't got all the pieces of the puzzle together. Maybe the Lord has given you a piece of the puzzle and you'll tell me and, hey, we'll have it all done. Wouldn't you like to be able to figure out the exact day the Lord is coming back? Forget it. Anyway, if you look up here on the chart, time is an island in the sea of God's eternity. So there is an island. It all deals with man when he began and when it all ends and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. But we're not there yet. We're, um, we're somewhere in uh, here, this period of time. The cross of Christ is represented here by the blood, the red. Christ's death on the cross covered all the people before and afterward. So all those in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward to the cross. We are saved looking back to the cross, but everybody's saved because of the cross. His payment was sufficient for all men for all time. There is no other way of salvation. God has never said that he ever saved anybody any other way. It's always because of faith in what he did for us. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Daniel in chapter 2. Daniel in chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We are living in very exciting times. And I have people who email me all kinds of things about what's going on. Uh, I do believe that there is a one main thing, and that's the devil. And he is seeking to destroy this world. But I'm going to be speaking tonight on a subject about what did the devil know and when did he know it? You've often heard them say that about certain individuals in Congress. And what did they know and when did they know it? Well, what about the devil? What did he know and when did he know it? So ought to be interesting. But today I want to tell you about what God knew and when he told it. So in Daniel, God had given to oh, Nebuchadnezzar a dream. It became a nightmare. He had no clue what it was talking about. So he asked all of his wise guys. He said, you guys figure this thing out. You're going to die. Well, Daniel and his buddies were considered part of these wise men. And um, uh, Daniel wasn't ready to die yet. But God set this all up. God knew what would transpire. And so he says here in Daniel in chapter 2. I want you to look in verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and the secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. Sounds like uh, somebody you'd want to know, wouldn't it? So if you want to know the future, it's better to know the Lord. Because he knows what's going to take place. He's God. And so he has revealed to this King Nebuchadnezzar a dream. Now this is over there in Babylon. 
the Jews had been uh, taken over there, and uh, because of uh, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, the southern two kingdoms, and so they, um, they had to go. They were taken into captivity. And so they, in captivity, uh, took these key individuals and made them work for the king. And Daniel was highly favored. He was doing a pretty good job, him and his three you know, friends. But God revealed something to Daniel. And when he revealed it to Daniel, he went to see the king. So if you look there, and it says in verse 27, and, well, it's starting in verse 26. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? So now in verse 27, Daniel has a little fun. He says, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and soothsayers show unto the king? Hey, what about all these other wise guys? They couldn't do it. But he says, I know God. And so he says there in verse 20, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. In other words, he had a dream, and now it's going to be revealed the interpretation of those dreams. Now, people have for the last 2,500 years been trying to figure out the interpretation of the dream. You see, he had a, a vision of a, an image. He saw an image. And this image was uh, like a man standing up. And um, the man is composed of different types of metals and representing different kingdoms. And so he wanted to know, what, what does all this mean? So it gets very interesting. And if you'll notice there in verse 31, he says, Thou, O king, saweth and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, and his belly and his thighs of brass, legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and brake them in pieces. Then was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. We will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Even when we try to explain the interpretation, we sometimes are not clear about the interpretation. You can get all kinds of books on prophecy, and you generally have to have Daniel and the book of Revelation to try to understand any of it. And not all Bible teachers come down on the same side of the issue. Today, you probably will not totally agree with me perfectly. But you don't have to be right all the time. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. But not everybody is going to totally agree on everything. But prophecy should motivate us for a purpose. To 
take seriously the things of God, that we know that the Word of God is true and we can trust it in things that pertain to our life. Therefore, I want this to help you. So what I want you to do is I want you to picture there's a man standing up here. And this man standing up here, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Thou art the head of gold. The silver, he says, that's the Medes and the Persians. And after that is the belly of brass. That's the um, Grecian Empire, Alexandrian Empire. And then the legs and so forth, uh, that's of iron. That's the um, Roman Empire. And then you have the part iron and part clay in the ten toes. And uh, most people don't know which one that is. They say, well, that's the revival of the Roman Empire. Okay. So what do you think, Yankee? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I want to give to you a little Yankeeology. I think there is a difference in the image that was seen and the individual beast. You see, as you study it, you'll find they talk about this is a beast, and this is a beast, and this is a beast, and this beast. Well, all these beasts formed an image. And later on in the book of Revelation, it says that this beast created a image of the beast and the image was able to come to life to speak so people have been trying to figure out what is this image of the beast and so curiosity gets the best of us so we try to utilize the things that are happening in the world to try to see is this what he's talking about so over the years oh about 2,000 years People have taken world events and say, well, this is it. This is it. And uh, he has to be the Antichrist. So that's been going on for years. And in every case, they were wrong. Because the end is not yet. It has not yet been fulfilled. Dr. Hank Lindstrom loved prophecy. I love prophecy. Ray Stanford loved prophecy. Studying prophecy challenges you to be a, a more effective soul winner. Because not only does it give you reasons to believe that the Bible is true, but it makes heaven and hell more real. Because when you know that's true, then this is true, and then this is true. So we gain evidence for us to challenge and motivate us to want to reach people for the Lord. Now, as you go down through here, it does get interesting because there's a few things mentioned that I want to bring out to your attention. When he makes this statement, this is the dream, and this is the interpretation of it. Even Schofield's reference Bible, the notes, mentions four kingdoms. And if you'll look at the headlines there, it will come out and it'll say this is, uh, that there's four of them. But the thing is, every time I count them, I come up with five and not four. And the reason, if you look at verse 35, he says, Then was the iron one, clay two, brass three, silver four, gold five. I count five. So I would think there might be five. And if you look there in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces, the iron one, brass two, clay three, silver four, and gold five. It looks like five again to me. But almost all translators, all Bible stu students, always come up with four. Okay, so they got four. Yankee gets five. Well, 
They said the last one, though, is just a revival of the fourth one, and the fourth one is the Roman Empire, and so that's just a revival of the fourth one. Well, that sounds pretty good. Maybe that was the way it is. And it can be. But if all of these are different beasts that comes upon the scene, as the Scriptures tell us, then maybe there's a, a better explanation on some of the, the stuff. But what I want you to see also is it makes a statement there in verse 43 of chapter 2. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Now I have to admit, I've often wondered, what's he talking about? They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Are not all of them men? Are they not all human? But then you go all the way over there to the book of Revelation, chapter 9. It talks about the 200 million soldiers. And we automatically assume that, that that's probably talking about, you know, the coming across the Euphrates when it's dried up and it's the Chinese. It can be. But it also gives you the appearance that it's coming up out of the river of Euphrates. Something is down below and something's coming up. And the smoke of the pit well, what if there's more to it than meets the eye? I remember when Christ was here, there was an awful lot of uh, demon possession. Christ is always casting out demons out of everybody. Now, we don't hear too much about that anymore because our goal is just to win people to the Lord, and I don't worry about going around casting demons out of anybody. I have never performed an exorcist. I, I just don't do that. Why? Because if I can get a man to trust Christ to save the Holy Spirit and dwell in them, problem solved. And... When you start studying and you see that demonic activity is going to really be rampant in the last days. Especially during the tribulation time. Because the devil is going to be here. And he's going to open up some pit. And it talks about as the Apollyon is going to be a destroyer. And there's going to be a multitude of crazy things going on. Crazy descriptions of something that doesn't look human. So there may be something down the road that we are not yet aware of. But I'm glad I won't be here. Now what I want you to see is this. We're talking about going all the way back here to the time when Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylon. And he says, Thou art this head of gold. And after him, the Medes and the Persians. Medes, Persian. After that, the Alexandrian Empire. And then the Roman Empire. Used to be referred to as the Eastern and Western Division of the Roman Empire. And then there's the ten toes. So we know that whenever Christ was here, it was the Roman Empire that was here when Christ was here. So that means that Babylon has already come and gone. The Medes and the Persians had already come and gone. It means that the Alexandrian Empire had already come and gone. And it means that the Roman Empire was existing at this time. But the Bible describes the last world power that will take place here. And when it takes place here, it's composed of the ten toes. In some places, the ten kings, the ten crowns in the book of Revelation. So many would believe that's going to take place here. It is separated by at least 2,000 years since the cross. So we've gone through every one of those kingdoms except the last one. And the last one is the one that everybody's interested in. That's the one that's right ahead of us. Now, if we know some of the descriptions of the way this kingdom is going to be that's right ahead of us, 
we can have a better idea of what's going on in the world in which we live. So I want you to also look there in verse 44. Because he says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Now all these other kingdoms, it says, will be destroyed. But in the days of these kings, the God of heaven, Christ, will come down and he will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So he's given us a layout of things that has happened in our time, past, things that are yet future. And if you understand it, then you can have an idea of where the world is headed. And it gets very, very interesting. When he talks about the stone that's cut out of the mountain without hands. And he's talking about this stone is going to come down from somewhere and it's going to hit the ten toes and destroy this whole image. See, Christ is the stone that comes down and smites this last world power and sets up his kingdom, which will never be destroyed. The other thing that I found that was very interesting is several places, and I want you to see this. Looked in Daniel chapter 2, and you'll notice in verse 35, where it says in verse 35, it says, Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces. And look at that next word. That next word. Together. Now, wait a minute. One of them happened 500 years before the Roman Empire. And then this last one is going to be 2,000 years in between them. How can they all be destroyed together? So if there is a revival of the Roman Empire, then there has to be a revival of all the empires. So that during this period of time, all these kingdoms will be existing all at the same time in some form or another. I thought that's an interesting thought. Now, I don't know if you see what I'm talking about, but... How can they all be destroyed at the same time unless they're all existing at the same time? Remember, beast or image that they saw, the image was composed of or comprised of various kingdoms. So during this period of time, there is this beast that comes on the scene and forms the image of the beast. So the image is a conglomerate of nations that voluntarily come together and give their power unto a beast. In other words, there is one, one kingdom, by which all the other kingdoms will become as one voice and become part. And we would probably not have understood some of this, but I want you to think for a moment. When a person wants to start a business, and you get two or three people on a board, and then you file the incorporation papers to the state. And that Secretary of State, she puts that seal on there. When she does this, she has just given life to a corpse. A corporation is a body. It's a corpse. And it gives it a legal standing as though it's a legal person. And then people speak and move and act as though it is a person, but it's not a real person. It's just the image of a person. It looks like a person. It can act like a person, but it's been given life. Our state is incorporated. 
our federal government is incorporated. But what if you got nations and bring them together and they're all incorporated under one head? Then that becomes an image that can speak and have life. Now I have to admit, I have never heard any other preacher say this. But that's okay. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. It's just that I can't prove I'm right. But I do have a few things that gives me something to go by. Because I believe that we are living at the most exciting time in all of human history. Now we have what they have called the United Notions. Anybody ever heard of them? All right. The United Nations is a conglomerate of nations that comes together. Well, that this is not the one that's going to happen during the tribulation period because it hasn't happened yet. It's going to take place. And there's going to be someone who comes on the scene. Take your Bible and look there in the book of Daniel in chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 and look there in verse 1 where he says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Now this is what we believe to be the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, but it's still under the Babylonian Empire. And it says that he had a, a nice banquet, and lo and behold, uh, a man's hand came out and wrote on the wall. The Bible says that it scared him to death. See there in verse 6. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loose, and his knees smote one against another. That means he was scared to death. He trembled. He was afraid. So once again, Daniel is called for, and he says, this is what's going to happen. And what the hand wrote on the wall was found there in verse 25. This is the writing that was written. Many, many tickle the parson. No. But anyway, verse 26. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many which God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. So as I read this, the Babylonian, the head of gold, is over because then it says in verse 31, And Darius the Medes took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So now the Medes and the Persians have taken over, so we know that the one is gone. And if you'll notice in chapter 7 of Daniel, he says in the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon, Daniel had another vision. And he says in verse 3, And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Each one was different from the other. Four great beasts. But now these four great beasts, is it just the four that was mentioned in chapter 2? Or if you look there in verse 17, where he says, These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. So if Babylon was one, and it's over and numbered and finished, and now he says there's four. But it says this when Belshazzar was still in power. His dream. So that to me would mean five, not four. So if it is four more and one is gone, well, that makes sense. And so if you look there in chapter 7, and you look there in verse 7, after this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, Strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of him. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. So it says this one, which is the last one, is different from all the ones that went before it. 
So I'm not sure that this is going to be the revival of the Roman Empire because it says this last beast is different from all of those other ones. Possibility. But what makes it also important, if you look there in Daniel in chapter 7, where it says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So this is also a reference to in the last days, I saw something, I saw something else. And it says in verse 14, And there was given unto him dominions and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. I wonder who that is. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. This is the stone without hands. He comes into the world, destroys the ten toes, and sets up his kingdom upon the earth. And when that happens, it makes the statement in verse 24, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings. And then in verse 25, when he talks about the head of this last world power, He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into His hand until they get this, a time, times, and a dividing of time. A time is one year. Times, two years. Dividing of time, half a year. Three, half years. If you look up here, the seven-year tribulation, because of the 70th week of Daniel, you have three and a half years. So-called peace and safety. This is when the power struggle begins to take over. The Antichrist is revealed in the middle of the tribulation period. But when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. So this is the last three and a half years, which is known as the Great Tribulation. All of it is the tribulation period, but the last three and a half years is the worst period of time that any man has ever known on the face of the earth. So this is what's ahead of us. So you see, Washington is not going to create a utopia upon this earth. It ain't going to happen. America is not going to be the savior of the world. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. The worst period of time in the whole world lies right ahead of us. There's never been a time like it before. So when you understand that, you'll understand that, no, you don't need to look to the White House. They're not going to solve our problems. I don't care who's in power. It's not going to happen. All they do is prolong a little bit of our peace and quietness. But you and I ought to know and understand it has to collapse. This bubble has to explode. You cannot sustain a government such as ours with all the government giveaway programs. It will not happen. It cannot happen. Socialism does not work. And that's where we are today in America. You say, well, I don't like that. I don't care. I'm telling you the truth. Now, get what he says. Down in verse 27, he says, And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. 
whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominion shall serve and obey him. So we know in the end time, we, God's people, are going to win. It will be given to the saints. But until then, in verse 25, he's going to wear out the saints. Multitudes of God's people are going to be destroyed during this period of time. It's on the way. All these things the Bible says is what's going to take place. And I believe the Bible. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 13. Revelation and chapter 13. If you want to know if the Bible is true, this enough is to convince me. It tells about the kingdoms in advance. Even mentioned the Medes and the Persians, and even Darius' name. Cyrus is in the book of Isaiah. He was shown his name was already in the Scripture before he ever became the head of the Medes and the Persians. But anyway, in Revelation chapter 13, you'll notice that there's talk about a beast. And in verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. His deadly wound was healed. All the world wondered after the beast. Now, I don't really know what beast this is talking about. It's in the future. Some say this is referring to the, you know, the Roman Empire, and it was dead at the head, and so it's going to come back to life. But maybe. Or it says in the book of um, Daniel, where we were, Thou art the head of gold, and it was destroyed. Why can't I just say that that's the kingdom? Because had a wound in the head, and now it's alive. Or is it talking about a literal individual that's going to be here and killed and come back to life? And it's not referring to the, the kingdom, but the man who heads up the kingdom. All of it gets interesting. This is what makes Bible study so exciting. It's not just written in such a way to satisfy the curiosity seekers. But for somebody who really wants to dig and study, and you might get a little jewel here, a little nugget there, but you're not going to probably get all of it. Because the Bible says in the book of 2 Thessalonians, he says, and then shall he, the Antichrist, be revealed. So, of course, we're trying to figure out in advance, oh, I think it's this guy. I think it's this guy. Some say, I think it's the Pope. Sometimes I think it's Obama. Some thought it was Bush. Somebody thinks it's a, It doesn't matter. One of these days, yes, there'll probably be a, a forerunner that will meet the criteria. And lo and behold, He's going to be able to convince the world. Boy, aren't we living in exciting days. And isn't it true that there's cry for peace all over the world? And now we need to have a world bank, and it's a world economy. Everything is global. Well, isn't it strange that the Bible just talks about in the last days, these nations are going to come together because you're going to have a one-world government. You see, if you had a one-world government, who would you fight against? Everything would be peace and wonderful. It would be joy. It means that everybody will be poor and have nothing. Because there's always somebody willing to take whatever you have. If they can do it by the legislation, by the power of the pen, they'll take it that way. And they just happen to be the one that gets in the office because somebody else out there likes to vote for the person who's going to give them the most. So here in the book of Revelation in chapter 13 talks about two beasts. One comes up out of the sea. One comes up out of the land. And the Bible talks about how that there's going to be an image of a beast. Look here in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So many believe that this is like a 
you know, in the sense, the spiritual sense. You have a political leader, and then you have a person that's supposed to be in charge of getting all the religions together. So you got political and you got religious. And the one that's religious is going to try to get all the people to worship the beast. Oh, boy. So he says in verse 12, And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, some believe that they're going to be able to, by DNA, take uh, something from somebody and create a, hey, there's the masterpiece. You know, somebody that's got it all together, Superman. Well, whether it's going to be that way and that becomes the image of the beast because they clone somebody, we probably will be able to do that. I don't know. Or whether or not he's talking about the image that was found in the book of Daniel and the image represented a conglomerate of nations that had the power to move and talk as one. And if you will, hold your place right here. Look in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. And you'll notice there in verse 12, where it says, And ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. That's strange. We just read that a while ago in the book of Daniel. Which have received no kingdom as yet. So as far as the scripture goes, it says they don't exist yet or did not have a kingdom yet. And that becomes interesting. So is these ten a revival of something that never existed? Makes it interesting, but look at this. And he says, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Get this. They all have one mind, shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Look up here. When Christ comes back, those that are with him, he is the one that will smite the ten toes, the ten kings, and set up a kingdom upon the earth. And that's why he says here, the lamb shall overcome them. This is at the battle of Armageddon. You've often heard it. And even people talk about it. It's on the news all the time. Is this the Armageddon, the Armageddon, Armageddon? It means the last final days. Well, that's not even the last final days. That's just here. There's another thousand years upon the earth that's going to be like the Garden of Eden. Then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth because this earth is going to be destroyed by fire. It was destroyed once by water, the next time by fire. That's what God said. So I'm not even worried about global warming. If Gore thinks it's hot now, wait till then. And what's he going to do? Try to get God to be a little bit more conservative? God's the one that's going to do this. And he often talks about in the tribulation period that the sun becomes so hot that men's bodies will be burnt and scorched. And great sores all over their bodies. It's all coming. Don't you just love it when you see a plan come together? And we're living at the most exciting time to see all these things happening. I get excited just thinking about it, even if I don't even have half the pieces of the puzzle. Uh, it's like I've got a, a picture, but I don't know how to put all the pieces in there together yet. But I'm working on it. But I want you to see this. They give their power to them. Look there in verse 16. 
and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and blah, 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 blah. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and get to give their kingdom unto the beast. And when the Bible talks about when Christ comes back and he destroys this image of these beasts, is it possible that all these kingdoms could come back into play? Take, for example, do you know where Babylon was located? A place called Iraq. And uh, I remember when Bush was in office, he talked about the axes of evil. I think it was Iraq and Syria and North Korea. Anybody remember that? All right. Iraq. Could they come back into power? Aren't people worried about that now, of them even getting the nuclear bomb? Who knows how everything's going to finalize, but sooner or later, you understand this. All the nations will come against Israel. Zechariah chapter 14 says, And all these nations shall come against Israel. Israel. So we have all these great big old nations over there surrounding this little old strip of land called Israel. How in the world is Israel going to exist? And remember, this was written when Israel was already out of the land. And then whenever Christ was here during the Roman Empire, and this is why if you look there in chapter 17, up there in verse 9, where it says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, and five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was, and is not, and even he's the eighth, and is of the seventh. Isn't that exciting? It's enough to blow your mind. But remember, when John wrote this, he was living during the Roman Empire. He says, Five are fallen. You see, before... Nebuchadnezzar was the Assyrian and the Egyptian. So you had the Assyrian and the Egyptian and the Babylonian and the Medes and the Persians and the Alexandrian Empire. That was five that are fallen before Rome that existed at that time. He said, and one is. And one is yet to come. And the Antichrist is the eighth. But he's of the seventh. He's of the last one. But this last one is made up of these conglomerate of nations that come together and give their power unto the beast. So there's going to be in the last days that nations are going to figure out, hey, we need us a world leader. We need somebody that can be like a Superman, brilliant, that understands all this stuff. And buddy Satan is going to have his man. Who is he going to be? I don't know, and I don't care. Because it does not change my job, my responsibility. I am still supposed to be preaching. Here's where we are. I'm still supposed to preach the gospel to as many people as I possibly can. So I let all of this motivate me not to waste my time and thinking, I'm going to build me a mansion down here. All I need to do is just think about myself and get secured. But you're going to find out there's not much security in this world. Now, this is why if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, should you? Let's just say it's true. If it is true, that means that hell is real and heaven is real. It does mean that Christ is going to come back again. Because he gave scripture of how he would come the first time and it all happened just like he said. So it means he's coming back. 
So when he comes back the next time, he's coming back right here called the rapture. He comes in the air, and we are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says, the worst period of time upon the earth is right here, Matthew chapter 27. Read it sometime, especially verse 23. Then Christ is going to come back here in power and great glory, and every eye is going to see him. And it says, the light will shine from the east to the west, brighter than the noonday sun. Sure, it's interesting. If I got all the pieces of the puzzle, no, I got a few more pieces, but I ain't got time to tell you all of them. But I got a few ideas. Anyway, look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. Everybody is a sinner. It means that we're all imperfect. None of us are good enough to go to heaven. Because of sin, we can't get in. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And since we've all sinned, everybody, we're all condemned. Understand, if all this is true, if you do not trust Christ as your Savior, you will spend an eternity in a literal fire-burning hell forever. I don't care how it sounds to you. I'm just telling you the truth. If this is true, hell is real. And if hell is real, then what God said is the truth. And he says you cannot earn your way to heaven. Your good deeds will not get you to heaven. That's why you need a Savior. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ, this hand representing Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came into this world because he loves us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from the Lord. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because he loved us, he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And he said that if you and I would believe he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account. We go to heaven on what he did. You see, I'm not going to heaven because I'm good. I'm not going to heaven because I go to church or I read my Bible and I pray or I give money. That has nothing to do with me going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because Christ died and paid for my sins. If he paid for my sins, it means I don't have to pay for them. All I have to do is believe he did it for me. There's no trick to that. Can't get any easier. See, I don't have to stop something or promise something. All I got to do is just receive it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. The whosoever believe it. That's all you have to do is believe it. And when you believe it, he says, you will not perish. It means that I will not go to hell today. It means I cannot go to hell in the future. He has saved me from ever going to hell. And he has promised me eternal life. So if I can't go to hell and there's only one other place, guess where I'm going? I'm going to heaven. And I have known that for 52 years. And the only reason I know it is because it's free. If I had to earn it, couldn't make it. God loves you. Pay for your sins in the person of Christ. Said if you'll believe it, he'll give you eternal life. Never cast you out, never lose you. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you're here this morning, and maybe you've never trusted the Lord. You've heard about it, but you just never did trust the Lord. Would you right now say, preacher, that made sense to me. I want to be sure I'm going to heaven when I die. So right now, the best I know how, I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And then if you trust him right now, God said he would save you right now and give you eternal life as a gift. I'm not going to have you for it. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to put you on the spot and nail you against the wall. I just want to know that what I said made sense.
and that you trusted Christ as your Savior. And I'd like to have prayer for you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one looked around, is there anyone at all who said, yes, that made sense to me, and I will trust Christ right now as my Savior. And preacher, I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up real quickly and just put it right back down? You know it all. You know it all. No tricks to it. No gimmicks. God loves you so much. Wait just a minute. Anyone at all? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, yes, God bless you, sir. You can put it down. No one else. If you trust Christ right now as your Savior, God saves you right now and gives you eternal life. He'll never cast you out and never lose you. You have his word on it. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. We thank you for the individual indicated by an uplifted hand. That by faith and faith alone he believed that you died on that cross and paid for his sins. And that by trusting you, you said you would give him eternal life. That he can know he's going to heaven when he dies. We ask your blessings upon each one of us as your children to see the importance of serving you. Time is short. Help us to do right. Bless each one here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.